welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 18th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 18. As a reminder, every day I I read one chapter of the Bible. So today we're going to read Genesis 18, and then I'm going to offer a very brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and the theology very briefly. And the goal of this show is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes. And as we know, sometimes I'm successful towards the 20 minutes, and sometimes we end up going 30 minutes. Well, let's get into our reading of God's Word today. Genesis 18 says this, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. And so they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before him. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. And then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them uh, to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether uh, they have done together according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. 
And so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sleep away the righteous with the wicked? And suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sleep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He said, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. This is the reading of God's word from Genesis 18. Now, in Genesis 18.1 to Genesis 19.29, what we see is the destruction of Sodom. Genesis 18 through 19, it forms a unified narrative that divides into a number of distinct episodes coalescing around the rescue of Lot from the divine destruction of Sodom. And there are three main sections here. In verses 8, 1 through 15 of Genesis 18, the Lord appears to Abraham at Mamre. In, in Genesis 18, 16 through 33, Abraham intercedes on behalf of Lot's family. And third, in Genesis 19, which we'll look at tomorrow, uh, 1 through 29, Lot is rescued from Sodom. So the first 15 verses of this uh, uh, chapter in Genesis 18 uh, unlike some other biblical texts that recount divine appearances, it provides a deal, detailed description of how the Lord appears to Abraham. And in doing so, it highlights the generous nature of Abraham as he shows hospitality to the three men. This theme of generous hospitality reappears in chapters 19 in connection with Lot. So in verse 1 of this chapter, what we see, although Genesis thirteen eighteen reports that Abraham settled at the Oaks of Mamre many years earlier, he is still dwelling in a tent. Verse 2, three men. Abraham's actions suggest that he viewed the men as exceptionally important. He ran, and in the Middle East, an elderly man of some social standing would not normally respond in this way to visitors. Bowed to the earth, while this may have been a common mode of greeting others, it shows that Abraham regards the visitors as worthy of great respect. Verse 3, O Lord. The Hebrew term Adonai is a distinctive one for God in the Old Testament. Verses 4 through 5, although Abraham speaks of a little water in verse 4 and a morsel of bread in verse 5, he proceeds to prepare a substantial meal. 
verses 6 through 8. These verses detail the preparations of the meal underlining the expense to which Abraham goes in order to cater lavishly to the visitors. He stood by them. Abraham does not eat with the men, but like a servant, he waits on them. And the events of verses 2 through 8 and Genesis 19, 1 through 3 are likely alluded to in Hebrews 13, 2, verses 9 through 15 of this chapter. These verses center on Sarah and the promise that she will have a son in about 12 months. Verse 11, the way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. This focuses on Sarah's age, and this comment underscores that she has now ceased to have menstrual cycles, indicating that her reproductive years have ended. Verses 12 through 15, and so Sarah laughed at herself. Now, given her personal circumstances, Sarah laughs in disbelief at the idea of bearing a son to Abraham. Her reaction mirrors her husband's in Genesis 17, 17. And although Sarah was hidden from the men, her response does not go unnoticed by the Lord, who asks anything too hard for the Lord. Now, despite Sarah's negative situation, she still honors Abraham by using a title of dignity and respect. My Lord, verse Peter 3, 6 notes that this is indicating that her pattern of submitting to and obeying her husband. Now, in Genesis 18, 16 through 33, in this section, the prospect of Sodom's destruction is revealed by the Lord to Abraham. Out of concern for Lot, Abraham intercedes with God regarding his nephew and his family. And the ensuing conversation underlines that the destruction of Sodom and even other cities of the plain is fully justified because of the inhabitants' overwhelming wickedness. And had there been as few as ten righteous people in Sodom, the city would have been spared. Abraham's intercession for the Gentile cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is in line with his calling to be the vehicle a blessing to the whole world world. Now, in verses 17 through 19, God chooses to disclose to Abraham what he is about to do on the grounds that Abraham has a unique role to fulfill regarding his own descendants and all the nations of the earth. Verse 21, I will go down and see. Now, these words, they reveal that the decision to destroy the cities on the plain was undertaken with careful scrutiny of, of, of the evidence. This remark should not be interpreted, interpreted as indicating limited knowledge on the part of God any more than do the similar and ironic words in Genesis 11.5. All that is implied is God's direction uh, and attention to the matter. So Genesis 18, 23 through 25, Abraham's response to God's revelation is probably promoted by his concern for Lot, although Lot is not mentioned specifically here. But the main issue for Abraham is will God destroy the righteous alongside the wicked? And knowing that God must be true to his nature, Abraham still poses the question, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Verses 26 through 33, as Abraham engages with God on the fate of the righteous in Sodom, different scenarios are presented whereby the hypothetical number of righteous in this city is gradually reduced from 50 to 10 in verses 26 through 32. And, and God eventually affirms that for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it in verse 32. The principle has been established that God will not punish the righteous along with the wicked. And as we're going to see tomorrow in Genesis 19, only Lot and two of his children are actually rescued from the destruction of Sodom. 
So thus far, Abraham has been the the primary character in Genesis 18. It's the patriarch who rises quickly to greet the people and provide water for the guests in verses 1 through 4. Abraham initiates the preparation for the grand feast later uh, for his visitors in verses 5 through 8 of Genesis 18. And while the meal was indicative of the fellowship God enjoyed with Abraham, what we see in this passage, in this chapter, it helps us see that the three men came to the patriarch's home primarily for the benefit of Sarah. Abraham's wife is not a second agent in the Lord's design for his people. She will bear the heir of God's promise as we saw in Genesis 17. But Sarah either does not yet know this, or perhaps Abraham has not convinced her of this truth. And so Yahweh graciously descends to provide her with direct confirmation of her role. Now, if there was any doubt regarding the identity of the patriarch guests, the speech they give in uh, Genesis 18.10, it clearly reveals their identity as they utter words similar to the ones God spoke earlier to Abraham concerning Sarah and Isaac in Genesis 17.21. Our father in the faith has been entertaining the creator himself, and therefore the couple should accept his word without hesitation. And furthermore, these visitors again pledge that Isaac's birth will come within a year in verse 10 of Genesis 18. Gone is the indeterminacy attached to God's promise. The patriarch and his wife now have a firm time frame in which to expect him to act. Now, divine power is needed to accomplish this feat. For Moses tells us in Genesis 18:11, the way of woman has ceased to be with Sarah. Menopause now stands in the way of Sarah conceiving, and thus what the Lord pledges is impossible for men to accomplish. Sarah's quiet laughter in verse 12 is not entirely surprising, since she could see at the time that, that the cruel fact that she was long past motherhood. And Sarah erred in focusing on the obstacles to the promise instead of the Lord's sovereignty over these impediments. So too can we fail to glorify God when we forget nothing is impossible for him. John Calvin says this, We do not pay him his due honor except we regard every obstacle which presents itself in heaven and on earth as placed under subjection to his word. So our Lord and Savior said that whatever is impossible with men is possible with God in Luke 18:27. And so when we consider the trials in our lives without trust and confidence in the Lord's sovereignty, we're going to crumble under the weight of life. Even the obstacles we face are subject to the authority of God. And so no burden is impossible for him to remove, no matter how difficult it may seem to us. Hold on to Christ this day and trust him to do the impossible. Now that Sarah knows of the Lord's plans for her, Abraham's visitors depart his home. Looking towards Sodom, Abraham walks with his guests to set them on their way in Genesis 18:16. Now, many of us know what, what comes next, the judgment and the destruction of Sodom, as we're going to talk about tomorrow. But even if we've never read Genesis before, there are clues in the narrative that divine judgment is about to fall. In Genesis 18:17, God thinks about whether or not to tell Abraham of his intentions. This is strikingly similar to the creator's internal dialogue in Genesis 6-7 before he judged and destroyed the earth in a flood. And in the end, God tells the patriarch his plans for that wicked city. And in showing his thoughts to us, Moses sets up the intercession of Abraham that will offer in his forthcoming discussion between himself and the Lord. And it also portrays the intimacy of their relationship, evidenced earlier in the meal that they shared at the beginning of this chapter in Genesis 18-1-8. 
you know, so Abraham is more than just the Lord's servant. He's also the friend of God. Friendship with God is not a privilege just for Abraham. It belongs to all those who follow Jesus, according to John fifteen twelve through 17. And so if we trust in Christ, we are his friends, and we can know his thoughts more deeply the, the longer we walk with him as revealed in the word of God. Matthew Henry reminds us that those who live by faith live a life of communion with God cannot but know more of his mind than other people. They have a better insight than others into what is present and a better foresight of what is to come. Divine grace establishes and completes this friendship. But as we're looking at in Genesis 18, our responsibility to that friendship is thereby uh, is not thereby abolished. The Lord chose Abraham, but divine benefits will not come to his children unless they right, act in righteousness and justice. We are declared just or made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But the sign of that our faith is real is our devotion to Christ. John Calvin says, For although the grace of God alone begins and completes our salvation, yet since by obeying the call of God we fulfill our course, we are said also in this manner to obtain the salvation promised by God. And hear the words of Jesus in John fifteen fourteen through 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his, ma- his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. See, if you're in Christ, God is your friend, and like any friend, he desires fellowship with you. So reflect on this truth and talk with him as, about, as you go about your day today. So following his graduation from college, a young man began to raise funds for a mission trip he sincerely believed that the Lord had called him to go on. For weeks, he pounded the pavement, seeking to raise the minimum amount required to hold his place on the mission team. But despite his hard work, he found himself $300 short one week before the funds were to be collected. His faith began to waver, and he doubted God would provide, that is, until the exact sum he needed arrived hours before the deadline. You see, if it was so hard for this person to trust in the Lord's provision, it is not too difficult to understand why Sarah laughed when she heard that she would conceive a son in her old age in Genesis 18.12. And, and though she tried to hide her disbelief with a quiet chuckle, Abraham's divine visitor heard everything while standing behind the door of the tent. The Lord responds in verses 13 through 14 of Genesis 18, saying, Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, we know that this is a rhetorical question, and we can expect the answer. Of course, nothing is too hard for Yahweh. The Hebrew for too difficult is used elsewhere to describe too hard for the ordinary judge to handle in Deuteronomy 17.8, as well as the unimaginable, the marvelous, the peace on Israel in the last days in Zechariah 8.6. Jeremiah 32 uses it to depict God's power to bring back his people from the ruin of exile. And in asking Abraham and Sarah this question, the Lord reminds them of his power to do that which men find impossible, and it alludes to his utter delight in doing those things that are wonderful and difficult in order to bring himself glory. That is to say, God's gift of Isaac not only displays his grace, it is also a clear revelation of how he relishes in his own magnificent goodness. 
Now, Sarah tries to deny her laughter in verse 15 of Genesis 18, but her lie does not fool God. And nevertheless, the Lord does not change his pledge to place a child in Sarah's womb within a year's time in Genesis 18:14. He has set this event in stone. Ironically, the Hebrew for Sarah's statement, I did not laugh in verse 15 of Genesis 18 is an enneagram for the name Isaac. The promise is so sure that it is even displayed when she denies her laughter. Now, let me ask you a question as we wrap up today's episode. How often are we, like Sarah, unable to believe that God is able to do all those things that he has promised to us? We do well to remember, as John Calvin says, that when we doubt like Sarah, he says, we also attempt to rob God of his power whenever we distrust his word, Calvin says. Where are you having trouble believing the Lord this day? Do you doubt he will act in line with his revealed character in his word and provide for all of your needs according to the riches of his grace and and power? Well, ask for forgiveness if that's you today. Repent and confess your sin to the Lord as 1 John 1, 9 says, because Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of of all of our transgressions and trust him anew today and know that the joy of the Lord is your strength if you are his and he is yours. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave and today is January 18th and we've looked at Genesis 18. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.